0: Hello, hello, my name is Ben Hilsinger, and you are listening to the Big Fat Snare Drum Podcast. Today's guest is Rogov Mehrotra. The kid's been playing since he was three, and to be honest, by the time he was five, he was probably already better than I am. He starred on Broadway for a few years in the School of Rock, while still physically going to school every day. I mean, the kid's a workhorse. He's an insane player, and I know he's going to be on a lot of killer records in the future. And you'll see by the conversation we have that he's an old soul, you think you're talking to a veteran of the craft, and to be honest with how much he's already done at such a young age, he kind of already is. So enjoy my conversation with Rogov. All right, I'm here with Rogov Mehrotra. Thanks for being the show, man. Thank you for having me. Super excited. <laughs> Yeah, and I know that we had to postpone it because I got a little bit of water in my computer, which is also why there was no show last week. So thanks for being so flexible, man. I appreciate it. Of course. Of course. Um, so you are one of the most exciting drummers right now. Not... I'll I'll say it because your age. I won't say your actual age unless you want to, but sure. uh, You're one of the youngest drummers and also one of the youngest drummers that I think has a respect for the history of drums The way you do because when I watch you play I see you pulling from and we'll, we'll get into it today obviously, but you pull from the greats um, Which is astounding for someone of your age and just in general, so it's always fun to watch you play for that reason
1: Yeah, I mean you have to go back you have to go back to the roots when when you're playing that's
0: that's where it all started so I think it's just best to get it from the source you know I agree I agree Um, which is kind of selfishly why I started this format because I am the first to admit that I grew up in the late 90s early 2000s and my uh, the, the things that I pull from, I wish were a little different. <laughs> Not that I, you know, am upset with my upbringing, but uh, yeah, that's why I have people like you on. So for those of you who don't know the format, it's still just the specific drumming moments that you pull from that have made you kind of the drummer you are today. I asked for five, and just, uh, I'm assuming you're an overachiever in everything you do in your life, but you gave me eight. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> thank you for that. But yeah, let's just start off, man. Let's uh John Bonham um in the time of dying and it's uh minute 849 to 854 All right man obviously that's the great you know John Bonham but what yeah what specifically do you pull from that I mean it's it's John Bonham
1: first of all the absolute goat I mean he's in my eyes, I think, at least, probably the most influential drummer on my playing because he was one of the first drummers that I started listening to when I was really young. And specifically this album, uh, Physical Graffiti, I was doing this performance-based program called School of Rock um, in in my hometown. And they have shows in which you basically learn a genre or you learn an an artist's music, like note for note. And you play it at a show. So they assign songs for different people. So I got this song um, as a drum song for me. And the person that I am, I went and learned every single song on the album. But still, this song stood out so much to me just because of the, the absolute power of his fills. And it really put the drums in the forefront. I wasn't exactly consciously thinking of that at the time. But yeah. what he played, I think, shapes has shaped over over the time that I've heard it and over the time that I've listened to his playing and listening to this specific part over and over and over again is has definitely shaped how I approach playing Phil's on the toms and the snare, not just keeping it light and especially you can get into that with jazz and stuff. Like I, I'm so guilty of like getting the little the quiet little nuances but when need be I wish putting, I was guilty
0: of that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but when need be putting putting the Power in those fills and that it's not always the simplicity or the com- complexity of the fills that's the focus but they're just so powerful that it just it brings the drums to the front I think I, I'm so in love with those fills every time I, I hear those fills it's just one of those like you have those ooh moments where you make those like really weird faces it's like you oh, make yeah. you you have like the playing drum faces and you have like the listening drum faces
0: I made the sure. worst the worst face. When listening to this one it's just <laughs> unbelievable well that that feels cool too I mean I know you were just saying that it's not about the simplicity but that Phil I mean a lot of the things that people love about uh, John is his his you know like what's he doing there and trying to figure it out but that's just eighth notes yeah. you know it's like I mean he's kind of he's 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 losing the backbeat on purpose and kind of doing this back and forth It's like where you're where are you going with this and it's just the confidence that he has. That's just like God. He's so he's the goat. Yeah, he he can exactly. do that. He could just do quarter notes in the snare for like four bars, and you'd be like, "Gosh, even that sounds cool." It's just the the feel with which he plays as
1: well. It's it's so prominent how he, he keeps it heavy, but he is mm-hmm. not overbearing in a sense of uh, of like intruding on other instruments and in,
0: intruding on other parts of the song. Did you feel that was a big? Um, Technique hurdle that you had to go over to get because obviously you do have great dynamics in your playing and so does John But uh, I keep saying John Bonzo. I'll say Bonzo (laughs) But uh, no one just says John Um, anyways uh, Did you feel that was uh, you know as a younger player not just age-wise, but just in your progression on the instrument? A lot of times you don't have dynamics and and starting off with John Bonham, you know, you'd think that you would just Have just level 10 the whole time was that something you had to work on?
1: Uh, yeah, I think listening to John Bonhaman inspired me to play a little bit harder Because mm-hmm. uh, as a young person I didn't really play hard and I wasn't conscious of the fact that I wasn't playing hard enough But yeah when I look back and when I look back now and see how I was playing I was playing pretty softly and I, I, I then again I was like six when I played this so it's <laughs> it's, it's it's not yeah. like I was consciously playing super quiet, but his sound it just the sound of how he played and the power which, with which he played inspired me to get, to get there and to, to, to explore that dynamic range and just play a little bit louder,
0: you know. Well, I mean, that's a great number one. And then going kind of, not, not a full 180, but a little bit to the left, uh, yeah. Marcus Gilmore. I'll actually, I'll have you say it if you have it in front of you, just so I'm not taking, yeah. taking the, the titles away from you.
1: No, totally. Um, so Marcus Gilmore plays uh, with the Vijay Iyer trio. And Vijay Iyer, if you don't know who he is, is an amazing, amazing jazz pianist who's actually a Harvard pro- professor. And he, he teaches at Harvard as well, which is pretty amazing. Um, but he's <laughs> he's a he's a jazz pianist who is like in that avant garde type. He is stretching there like the Milford Graves, Rashid Ali type stuff. Um, and he has this one song called Action Speak, which I don't even know what time signature it is. And it's just, it's it's out of this world. It's an amazing song. And Marcus Gilmore is on drums, who is, if you don't know Marcus Gilmore, uh, the grandson of
0: Roy Haynes. I actually don't. He's, he's not familiar to me, which is, again, which is why I have this show. So, thank <laughs> yeah, you. <laughs> he's,
1: he's um, he, he, I think, one of the best jazz drummers uh, of this time. And I think it's... It's, you can't, can't dispute it because of his touch and his technique and his feel, but specifically in this song, he plays a really cool solo, which you'll see uh, from 57, 57 minutes 18 seconds to 57 minutes 39 seconds, um, is just one portion of the solo, and in that, in that part, he plays these really, really cool fills, um, which are really fluid, which I think is my favorite part of that performance.
0: Great, yeah, let's drop it in right now. Yeah,
1: insane. Absolutely insane. I mean, in that clip specifically, he plays those. I think are single strokes. I still can't find out what they are. They might be doubles or singles or something. But whatever he plays, they're so fluid in the way he's just like, and the the just the. I sound stupid saying that, but the the <laughs> the, the dynamics and, and the fluidity of how he plays those fills is. Unreal, and I think I, I I found this clip fairly recently. I think four or so years ago when I started really getting into looking at jazz and looking at the different um, artists and and people. And I I think Mar- Vijay Iyer being an avant-garde jazz pianist was a pretty pretty uh, far like pretty far uh, jump I could have taken. And I really went to the deep end with that one. But what struck me about this is again the fluidity, and I try to apply that when I'm when I'm playing fills or when I'm playing grooves, not just making it super electronic or robotic, while that is a cool sound to have and while that is a great genre to explore. It's it's also about making that that push and pull and that tension and release and if you go a couple couple seconds ahead and a couple seconds behind this beat, he juxtaposes those really fluid fills with um with with staccato Type like uh, like on the toms and on the snare. He goes like da 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 Really comparing contrast type uh, type fills, and it's I, I again I tried applying that as well. The juxtaposition of those fills, but um, the main thing is the fluidity. It's just it's so hard not to not to feel so good when he plays that because it just it's, it's it just makes your body tense up and then and then release. It's it's amazing.
0: He has a few motifs that he goes back to, like you were mentioning. You know, with with the rising and the falling of the dynamics. But yeah, it doesn't matter that, it, that I don't know where the hell the beat is. <laughs> you know, it's like I was I was talking when we were listening. It's like the bass player is like, thank God the hi hat's going because I'm just following that thing right now. Um, but yeah, effortless too. He just seems like he's you know. <laughs> just had some chamomile tea He doesn't look like there's any grimacing on his face he's just in it zen
1: like that 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 pond in his in his mind is just not a ripple of water anywhere
0: yeah and i was asking uh what what drums sorry my squeaky chair i was asking uh, what drums but it's like someone like that he he can just pull tones out of anything exactly a block of wood he'd make sound nice
1: yeah exactly it's it's and it's just about the touch as well that he brings to the instrument Uh, i don't know if it's just years of playing or just studying the instrument really heavily but it's amazing what he does and what sounds he can bring out of the instrument like with that fill I think it's it's especially with if you hear the tone of his tom it's pretty low and it's pretty it's pretty loosely tuned and bringing getting those single strokes and getting that articulation out of those out of that really really loose head is incredibly hard and I think that's another really great thing about what he does
0: I should get Photoshop and, uh, you know, impose a big fat snare drum on that, on that uh, high tom. Um, right, well, nice little product placement. Uh, Let's go to number three, one of my favorite drummers, Mark Giuliana. And um, yeah, you can intro it if you'd like. Yeah, so this is a solo, um,
1: one of my favorite solos. I don't know where it's from, um, but it's on a tune called, I think, Seven Ways by Jason Linder. And it's okay. it's this solo section that Mark takes, and um, if you watch a couple of other Mark videos, he talks about this concept. I think Benny Greb also talks about it a little bit. He Benny Greb calls it the drum alphabet, I think, but Mark Giuliani calls it the seven sounds exercise. And mm-hmm. what it is, is is you take the seven sounds that are available on a snare, uh, a snare drum, a hi hat, and a kick drum, which is all the all the seven possible combinations, one of each, the uh, snare and the the hat, and then the snare and the kick, and then all three together. That's a total of seven sounds. And in that exercise, he likes to um, orchestrate those sounds across, say, sixteenth notes or something, or triplets, and use those sounds to create new um, combinations, new uh, ways of playing those rhythms. Um, and I really hear that in, in this solo right here. And this solo is, I think, a huge, huge really big maybe as big as John Bonham is Mark Juliana's like seven sounds kind of thing Uh, it really has influenced my groove um, And it it's really cool. So let's check it out from 105 to Uh, 115
0: Yeah, yeah, I can definitely say I'll play it But I I hear this one specifically when I when I listen to it in your playing for sure This style not that you copy him in any way, but no, it's totally (laughs) okay Yeah, it It was meant as a compliment (laughs) This is it. This right is here. not it. This is it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> When me and Chris did it, which is the first one of this, there was a bunch of different uh, commercials that we kept in just for a joke, and they were ridiculous. That's the wrong one. Um, there it is.
1: Specifically with that clip and what goes before and after it, with the exception of that little mini hat fill thing that he does, all of all of those ideas are concentrated around the the kick and the snare and the hat. Um, mm-hmm. And I think uh, that also goes back to a lot of uh, drum and bass type stuff like, uh, you know, Square Pusher. Uh, Square Pusher, Feed Me Weird Things is the album that I really like. Um, but a lot of drum and bass stuff and a lot of electronic stuff, I think, has led... Um, to that stuff which is then led to the combination of more ideas based on those based on those sounds and I think something like playing a snare and a hat without playing a kick drum or playing uh... like a kick drum and a snare without playing some kind of crash is, I think it was really ingenuitive for its time and really innovative for its time and it's become uh... a really good tool and a cool bank of just rhythms and and a reservoir of uh, really cool sounds and ideas that I I really love to look at and I feel inspired by every single time I play.
0: Oh yeah, no, he's a treasure trove. I mean, you can a 10-second clip of Mark playing, you can you can live off that for, you know, the rest of your life. Yeah. The cool thing about that clip too is he was doing some I don't want to say he's pulling it from Steve Gadd, but you know, incorporating the hi-hat stomps in his fills. You know, it's like his his hands are <laughs> in the air but there's still sound going on. So, it's doing something. Yeah. But um and again, especially in that one, he's perfectly in time or perfectly out of time whenever he wants to, but you can see him improvising in real time. You see, you see, like almost a, a hesitancy when you're watching it because you can see he's working it out, but you don't hear the hesitancy. But you can see he's like, okay, I'm going to go there. And you just watch his eyes on, he's really doing it in real time. You know, not many players can you so obviously see them improvising. Yeah. It's uh, like, if that makes sense.
1: It's like the, it's like the dot, dot, dot in the scripts, like you can see it on page. But when you're just listening to it, you really can't hear his hesitancy that much. You just hear that the flow of ideas. But you can Absolutely. see he's, he's working it out, which is really cool.
0: <laughs> that was a way better way to put that than I did. So thank you for that. <laughs> All right. So uh, speaking of uh, Marcus Gilmore's grandpa, you said? Yes. Roy Haynes is next. So yeah, I want you to talk about this clip a little bit.
1: The legendary, legendary, legendary Roy Haynes. Um, yeah. So this song is—it's um, actually a portion of a song called "In Walked Bud" uh, by by Thelonious Monk, who wrote this, I think, about Bud Powell, and they're pretty good friends. But um, that's a—that's a completely side story. In—in uh, in this, Roy Haynes takes a couple of choruses, which are a couple of, of uh, sections of the form of of solos, and um, at the start of his solo, he takes the first. Chorus of the solo is just the melody. So the melody of "In Walk Bud" is dum dum da da dum da blah 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 and you can hear that Roy Haynes completely does exactly what that is, and then he kind of diverges from the melody, which is really cool.
0: Sweet, yeah, let's let's check it out. <laughs> Actually, 1958. The great Roy Haynes. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm seeing on the on the, on the recording because that I wanted to talk about how well that was recorded for 1958.
1: Yeah, I mean they Jeez. did a really good job, and it was live too, so it's not like it, like they could do multiple takes or anything.
0: Well, and it's like it just shows how if you just know how to mix yourself as a drummer, you can yeah. just have one crappy microphone and it sounds like this perfectly compressed, beautifully EQ'd thing. It's like, no, that's just him playing. <laughs> yeah,
1: it's it's a really hard study to, to, like, how loud should my ride cymbal be, or is my kick too loud in this, when I play this type of thing? It's 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 a cool
0: ability to master. Yeah. Have you gotten to see Roy? Because I know he's still playing in New York Well, maybe not now, but... Not now. You know, uh, yeah, up yeah. until the beginning of the year. I saw
1: his 94th uh, birthday celebration at... <laughs> at the Blue Note, and the crazy thing is, he got helped up onto stage when he was going up, and right after he went on stage, he's like, alright, everybody else, stay down there, and he was the only one on stage with the instruments around him, and he started doing this, like, really cool tap dancing routine and everything, like, red velvet suit, nice top hat and everything, he's classy, so that's that's one
0: thing that that stays true, and and it's playing as well. Was it one of those, like... Had people help him up, and then the second he gets the drumsticks, it's like he's 25 again.
1: Yeah, I mean, for some of this stuff, I think age kind of got to him. It's 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 it was bound to happen, and it's pretty sad that, that yeah. he's 94. It's amazing that he's still playing, which is he's just super. It's great. Um, and even though sometimes like it it, it might have the sticks might have fumbled a little bit, or he was like he had to move a little bit more to get a symbol. All of his ideas were exactly like they were. When when he was in his prime, it, because it knowledge knowledge just builds, and knowledge doesn't really go away with age. I don't think um, <laughs> most of the time it doesn't. But
0: <laughs> <laughs> I know I know the sentiment of what you're saying. Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
1: But it, it it was all still there, and when he was playing, it was it was so perfect because over the course of his life, I feel like he's heard every combination of anything you could hear because he's played so much and played with such a diverse range of people from from singer-songwriters who 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 he played with where he was backing to 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 like Miles and John Coltrane and 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 all of them so he he knew what was coming when it was coming and how it was going to be played and he was right there and he was he was on the dot with everything which is really cool and he was he still used what he used in 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 Walk but he used a lot of that in his performance I noticed because Specifically in this song, he I said he uses the melody and then he kinds of, kind of diverges from the melody. It's exactly what he did when he played his solo in the blue note. And I try to apply that to my playing as well, like when I'm coming up with grooves or something. I come up with a little melody or a little motif that I think is pretty cool. I play it, I orchestrate it. Um, I, you know, interject kind of some, some sort of dry, driving force, like a cool hi-hat pattern or something like that. And then kind of take the melody and stretch it. and try to go off the melody a little bit, but still keeping a hint of that so it
0: keeps some kind of familiarity with the listener. Hey guys, we'll be right back with the show, but I wanted to talk real quick about Waves Audio. I use an endless amount of their plugins, including the Vocal Rider for this podcast, and for my drumming I use the SSL channel, Abbey Road Saturator, CLA Drums for that easy, quick, polished sound, and, and many, many more. We're an affiliate member, and if this show brings you any sort of value, please kick the, please kick, <laughs> please click the link in the show notes to make your next purchase. It supports me directly and helps keep the show going. So, all right, now back to the top five ways to make soup. Oh, this 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 next one, uh, Steve Smith, which. Uh, yeah, kind of talk about your relationship with Steve Smith. Uh, I've seen, seen some videos of you at his drum camp, and you, you've you played with Vital Information a few times. So Yeah, so... Yeah, talk
1: a little bit about that. Steve Smith, um, I actually first heard him when I went to uh, Zakir Sen, who's a, like a, a master tabla player in India and around the world. I think he lives in California now, but he's an absolute master tabla player, and he was doing a show where I live, in in New Jersey, and Steve Smith was like the accompanying drummer, but he was just playing like brushes and I think a cymbal and a hat or something. That's all he needs. That's all all he needed. (laughs) Um, um, And he was selling CDs after, so I picked up one of his CDs, which was Vital Information Live, One Great Night. Um, And I heard this song called Interwoven Rhythms, um, which I think is the song that you're about to... Play and it yes. uses this thing called conical, which is uh, it's a South Indian way of of expressing rhythm, and it's quite similar to like uh, saying tabla notes or something like that. It's just a little bit different in 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 the actual words, but the concept is the same. And it's a really cool bank of rhythm. And when I heard it, it was it i i was struck with how new the rhythm was to me cuz by by then i think i was like 10 or something and i was really into i think at that point i really loved like megadeth and uh, iron Ma- uh, iron maiden especially um, and metallica and all that stuff so yeah i it was a really really like complete left turn and i was i was struck by how new the rhythms were so I, I went to a couple of his shows in, in New York, at Birdland, at Blue Note, and at one point I, I was kind of just air drumming the stuff and like speaking and he noticed that I was there. And he was like, wait, who is this guy and, and why, why does he know what I'm playing kind of thing? Because I had listened to it so many times. Um, so I met him after and I went to, the, went to a drum camp with him called Drum Fantasy Camp. Uh, and Dave Weckel and, and Jojo Mayer and Benny Greb were also there. And in that camp, you have a night where you can play, uh, like in front of the in front of the people who are teaching, with all the masters. And it's a jam <laughs> night, and you play with this house band. So I played one of Steve Smith's tunes called Seven and a Half in front of him. Uh, scary, very scary, um, very yeah, near the definition of mortifying, yeah. <laughs> the definition of mortifying, yes. Um, uh, and I played that tune, and I guess ever since we've been. In touch, I've played with him a couple of times, and he's been so open, and he's super, super nice, and he just loves to share the information that he has and the knowledge that he has about the instrument, and especially about conical. And that he's he first introduced me to conical and taught me the basics um, of what it is. He and he kind of threw that on me by saying, "Here, let's perform," and I'd never heard conical really ever before. So I learned, and it was,
0: it was, it's great. Has that helped you uh, do rhythms over the bar line? Because I mean all those rhythms are just kind of not within the 4-4 common time at all. You know, people should definitely check out Conical because Steve's doubled down on that the last probably 10-15 years of his career. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, how has that helped you into more modern music?
1: Yeah, um, Conical and I guess uh, Eastern music in general has this concept called a T-high, which is um, a grouping of three phrases that are identical at the end of like a one big phrase. So you'll have like your phrase for sixteen, thirty-two, whatever bars, and at the end of the phrase you'll play like da 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 like three times in a row with like a little space in between. And uh, that was the first thing that that I noticed when it came to playing over the bar and playing uh, differently, but other than that Conical has a ton of polyrhythms, and, like, you'll see 74 over 17. Like, what? <laughs> like, that's going a little out there, but... It's a little much, yeah. <laughs> it's a little much to, to fit into, like, drumming. But the stuff that they have and they're, they're just the, the sheer bank of rhythm that conical is is uh, is something that I, I'm, I just keep learning from, and it. it's, it's, it's amazing how you can fit those rhythms into grooves and into solos, and they sound completely new, yet they're thousands and thousands of years old.
0: No, it's, it's awesome, and I... I uh... There's a, I think, one of the most recent drum fantasy camps you've done with him. There's a video of you playing behind him. He's standing in front of, like, a Nord keyboard. And he's doing these rhythms, and you're hitting it with him every time he's doing his, like, you know, hand movement. And, I, I mean, you're so focused on what you're playing. Um, but there's a few times you can just see on his face, he's like, this kid is killing it. It's so awesome. He just looks so happy that that you're doing it. And it's 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 fun to see Steve Smith and then knowing that, you know you're there in it, and it's all, yeah, you're just making him happy, that's, that's so cool. Yeah, he's so,
1: so nice, I can't stress it enough how, how, how nice he is, and how, how accepting he is about everything.
0: He's a huge uh, patron saint of getting uh, world drumming, you know, around the world, so. Um, but yeah, let's, let's, let's actually listen to what your, your choice is. So, Interwoven Rhythms, and it's, um, yeah, 105 to 115 from this, I mean, I'm sure you can listen to the whole thing, but that's the, the section we chose, or you chose. And again, I mean... Those drums sound so sick on that. Yeah. He plays uh, sonar, I think. He just yeah. came out with his own, this, his
1: own kit now and his own snare as well. well I'm he surprised has, he hasn't had it already. I mean, he's been
0: playing sonar for a while now. He has some 30th anniversary or 25th anniversary awesome. of him with sonar. Yeah, it's so funny. Some people would only know him from his journey days. And it's like, yeah. man, he's so much more. I mean, I mean, in and of itself, those drum parts are also, you know... You can have a master class on those as well. Yeah. But um, um if you're ready to move on, yeah, let's go to number this would be number six. So Elvin Jones. Yeah.
1: Um Elvin Jones. I mean, Elvin Jones. He's another <laughs> let's one. Let's move on to the, the next one. <laughs> yeah. One of the one of the one of the greatest uh drummers like ever. I mean, he I did a really, really intense like study of him. A couple of years ago, um, I think two years ago now, but it was just like only Alvin Jones for like nine, ten months. Of it was just his music. I really didn't listen to any other drummer unless I had to for, for like gigs or something like that, or if I'd listen if I'd listen to something. But what I noticed in his playing, especially with uh, with the John Coltrane Quartet, um, is that well, a, couple, a little bit backstory to this. Elvin Jones was kind of a kind of a rule breaker of jazz norms in in every single sense. Like he he was one of the first to pioneer this the polyrhythmic stuff and he, he went like over the over the bar and he went I mean now we know that's also in conical and stuff, but in the West. He he went like this really free time feel, like when he was soloing and stuff, but he always stayed to like one kind of central time. But the the biggest thing that I like to apply to my playing is his use of the ride cymbal, and I think before him it was it was commonly known to play the ride cymbal like the jazz ride title, the ding ding da ding ding da ding ding da ding right, and and when people would play that it would be it would be like it would just be that like in solos, like a great example is Saida's song flute, which is another John Coltrane song, and um, I think it's. Oh, I forget the drummer on. I'm really blanking. But um, in that song, in John Coltrane's solo, I think it's Art Art Taylor's. Um, but in the solo, the drummer keeps the ride time and basically keeps it the whole time. The ding ding da ding ding da ding. But what Alvin Jones does is he uses the ride cymbal as like a separate instrument, and he um, and he like uses it to converse with the other instrument. So like in this clip, uh, which is uh, Alvin Jones playing Afro Blue with the John Coltrane Quartet, um, I think live on a TV show, so it's a little more tame than they would usually play. Um, (laughs) But he uses, in this specific section, I think it's really cool how he uses the ride cymbal, which is something I've tried to apply to my playing a lot.
0: Cool. All right. Yeah, I'll play it. It's gonna be um, minute 226 to 242.
1: First of all, I don't know how he plays in that in that flannel. Like he's sweating so much and he stays in that flannel. That's the that's yeah. that's the real focus. Um no, but in this in that part you can hear how with McCoy Tyner, who's the pianist, he is using the ride symbol to kind of play contrary rhythms with him. So, um, McCoy Tyner going like the or something like that, he'll he'll do the opposite or he'll do the flip or he play with them like going if it was he go like and kind of like do a conversation like how I like to think about it's like they're arguing over something or yeah. talking about something like I don't know if one wanted pizza and one wanted like burgers or something that's what I like to think about uh, it makes it easier to understand definitely but sure yeah yeah um, in that respect I like to apply that that conversational, the conversational aspect of that, I like to apply to like my kick and snare, which goes back to the the Juliana stuff, where he uses the kick and snare and the hat for that seven sounds. I like to apply that when I'm when I am I'm doing like fills or something, or whether I'm in a groove and I just want to make it a little more a little adds a little sauce, a little, a little spice or something, and um, and just and and use those use those two instruments. Instruments, not just parts of the drum set, instruments they are, I guess, um, to uh, to just make a conversation, to make it a little bit more interesting. And then the other part of this clip that really, really inspired me is how he kept the ride cymbal as a driving force. Um, so, like, in a lot of my grooves, I th- I'll start with an idea or a melody, but I'll always end and make sure there's some kind of continuity somewhere, just so it keeps moving. Um, mm-hmm. And it just it just makes it feel a lot better when you know that it's going somewhere. So yeah, that's what I like about the the ride cymbal part. It's uh, it's really interesting how he does that and how he did that throughout the rest of uh, his career. Whether it be with the organ trio, where he was like on the ride cymbal, he was playing a different pattern. Like he was playing like a lot of quarter notes on the ride symbol when he was playing with organs but with John Coltrane he was playing a lot of this complex stuff where he was conversing so it's just dependent on the situation for him but that's what really inspired
0: me I love it I have nothing to add because you said that so well so yeah let's just go to the next one which is uh... the Winston's Amen Brother um... the Amen Break so yeah what's uh... what's the backstory on this guy? in this clip um...
1: again it was at a show at one of those performance based school of rocks and we were doing a funk show and i got assigned i guess almond brother to learn so i learned almond brother and there's a section that's been sampled like four thousand sometimes called the almond break like you can hear it on um on straight out of compton it's on it's um on can't knock the hustle by jay-z like it has that they sampled this drum groove so it's pretty widely known but just in this groove, the drummer has the opportunity to take the solo, um, and you'll hear it when you hear it. It's just a break in all the music, but he sticks to that, that groove and that simplicity, which is really cool, which I love.
0: It's also sometimes that's the hardest thing to do is to just like not even open up a hi hat, just just keep it going. Um, all right, yeah, it's uh, one twenty six to one thirty three in this little guy.
1: Oh, just that part it's so good <laughs> it's at a, it's just something about how he plays it, and he doesn't play anything else but the groove it's just the the groove is perfect in that situation, and the only thing he does is he plays that little like like the like the offbeat bump uh yeah. like the it just simplicity is key in this song and knowing where to where to put yourself in the limelight and knowing where to like stick back is I think the the key point that I learned from from the almond break, also from a lot of James Brown, uh, funky drummer, um, mm-hmm. uh, Sex Machine, all of those songs, is a lot of Clyde Stubblefield kind of give the drummer some, but he he gives the drummer the the time to shine when he gives him the pocket. Uh, mm-hmm. So that's what I learned. Just just keeping uh, simplicity, but um, keeping the groove at the end of the day, because the drummers job whether I guess whether you like it or not is to keep the groove um and is to keep a sense don't of time <laughs> oh no i said it <laughs> You said it <laughs> like we don't get
0: paid to solo I wish we did that'd be that'd yeah. be the best well well then I would make no money <laughs> not that I do now but uh <laughs> um
1: but yeah that it's it's just it's the drummer's i guess job to keep keep the groove and keep the time and that's so perfectly what he does here and a lot of Clyde stubblefield uh, stuff has that as well so that's where I learned to just keep the time uh keep it real
0: and keep it in the pocket yeah and and going back to the one before that the um the elvin Jones ride cymbal in this one that i mean that 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 right hand is the whole time it's just yeah. like rope on but still has feel but yeah going back to what you were saying about that one push it's kind of like and i'm I know people have talked about this before when it comes to drums and and just parts in general but it's kind of like like Jerry Seinfeld never cusses, and then the one time he says "bitch," it's like it has such an impact, and you're like, "Whoa!" It makes the joke that much better. Yeah, it's the same with that. If you just groove, but you have that one kind of displaced backbeat or or that push on the cymbal, it's like the it's the release of the gods. You know, it's exactly. just so much more fulfilling. You know, if he had done uh, like a, a huge, if he had done a huge drum solo and then included
1: that backbeat, I don't think it would have been. As monumental and as influential 100%. as it is now, also 100%. would have been sample Also, you probably wouldn't have heard straight out of Compton. So,
0: yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. Last but not least, um, the most. Even though I guess this is not really any more modern than some of the ones. This is, it feels like the more modern of your choices. Um, so it's uh, it's the Real Me by the Who. Yes. Yes. Um, so
1: uh, again. School of Rock. I mean, I I, I have a lot to, um, a lot of thanks to give to them for introducing me to such great music. But, um, yeah. For this, for the real me, it's not, I don't think, one of the Who's most popular songs. At least it's not on their top 10 on Spotify. Um, but to me, I think it's like my, my top, one of my top three greatest Who songs, along with like Won't Get Fooled Again, um, and like Bob O'Reilly or something like that. But, um, this song, the sheer the, the section I picked, I think exemplifies the energy that Keith Moon brings to the drums the most, but the sheer energy throughout the whole song, throughout all the verses, all the choruses, is unreal. And it and it's and it I guess goes back to a little bit of the bottom stuff, but uh, about keeping the drums a little bit in the front and just pushing your pushing yourself a little bit, uh, and pushing the sound a little bit without intruding on every other instrument and Even though Keith Moon has a bunch of fills here, it perfectly fits um,
0: the energy of the song in which he keeps up beautifully. Alright, so this was going to be 25 seconds into this song to about 38 seconds.
1: The energy I mean it, it it's it's crazy how Keith Moon after a whole show or if this was the start of the show I don't know could keep energy like that the whole time and keep the audience engaged um, and keep it going like blowing up his bass drum and keep keep it going tight like that it's that that crazy what how how much energy he brings I think is that the, the final point I can give I mean I learned from that um, because playing through a show I guess you have to you have to keep energy up so the audience can also feel the same way because we're also entertainers as musicians like when we play live so keeping keeping that up um and also while also of course not intruding on any other instrument I think is one of the most important things that we can we can do as as drummers I guess so that that that's my song for energy. I mean, there, there are a ton of other songs that you can that you can cite as being energy inspiring type songs, but this this is just mine.
0: Yeah, it's a it's a delicate balance to showmanship versus musicality. To your, there's other people on stage and the conversations you have to have, but again, yeah, no one wants to go see a record pushed play, you know. Yeah. So you got to sacrifice some, and usually it's the musicality in my in my playing. Um, and technique but uh, but I mean you being on Broadway I mean I'm sure you really had to be the showmanship and the musicality had to be both kind of top notch yes so you were kind of forced to (laughs) not be able to make too many sacrifices yeah
1: it was about putting your best foot forward every single night and kind of no sacrifices kind of thing if you didn't feel good well tough luck you know you had to there's, there's an audience of 1600 people that you had to satisfy and at the end of the day it didn't matter if you were feeling off or you're feeling sick or like you were hurting because it was so worth it when you hear
0: how the audience feels and how your hard work pays off. Speaking of that, how many subs were you allowed a month? Was it, is there a certain allotment or? Um, I, th- I forget.
1: I think it was. Uh...
0: It just shows how little time you took off. If you yeah, don't even I, know. I, over you're my, workhorse.
1: over my like two years, I think I took two days off. Jeez, no three, three, three. One was i was sick and two i went to virginia and like to the beach i guess but slacker and and i had to i was forced
0: to take off then i loved it so okay, much yeah i loved it yeah, so yeah, much yeah. well that's your eight man and um, i really appreciate you being on the show i mean i'm assuming if people are listening to this or if you're on instagram know about drumming podcasts you know rogoff um but if if uh, if people do want to find you for some reason this is the first time they know about you where can they find you on Instagram and, and all that jazz?
1: Yeah, uh, Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, I guess now, uh, at Ragov Drummer, R-A-G-H-A-V Drummer. Uh, yeah, just follow me if you want. Uh, if you don't, that's cool too. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's a very confident way to put that. I love it. I'll just bookend that. <laughs> um, all right, Ragov, thank you so much, man, and uh, I'll, I'll talk to you soon. Right, yeah, talk to you soon. That's the show. Be sure to check out bigfatsnaredrum.com and follow us on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter at bigfatsnaredrum. The audio you're hearing was edited in part by Isotope RX8 Audio Editor, so go check that out at isotope.com. All right, cheers. I actually put up a peace sign um knowing that there's no video.